towards the end of the book discovers the truth about his real father because he's adopted them. There's, so the ship feeds in from the back that puts it into a, a beautiful context. You really feel him a, a spaceman, a proper traveller. <laughs> you know? I've also been really, always really curious about bass players. I don't know why. I just always think they do something... They're the interesting part of the band. He starts the book by saying it's the, the only sensible position in a band because no one blames you for being shit. <laughs> you can say, nobody will know and you will not get the blame. And so whatever happens to the band, the bass player is safe. The drummer will get shit. People will notice yeah. that. They'll notice the singer. They'll notice the guitar. Nobody will notice the bass. And, um, it's fun. I've just been listening to Joy Division for some reason. I can't. Cause I think really, it's yeah. summer. So I just there's a bit of me that thinks oh, I can't listen to my summary music. I've got to listen to you know <laughs> Tales of the Holocaust. <laughs> and then it's you're so aware of that of Peter Hooks just play. Uh, and it's kind of scary, but also quite... I think bass player's quite sexy as well. They've a lot of people big... say... I've heard it certainly from female bass players that... Um, of course, you get a physical buzz resting up against the amp. Mm. So you can nestle your ass on the corner of the amp and, and get yourself <laughs> off during the set. <laughs> I've actually heard that. Yeah, it's the obvious thing to put. It's just... A, uh, it's like a, you know a wank, an on-stage wank. So. so, have you ever played? It's always just to start recording yeah, this chit fine. chat, and we'll see how we go. Yeah. I'm definitely a frustrated musician, and um, and it's probably the only reason I've tried to paint and photograph and everything is because I can't play an instrument. I wish you I sing could. Or... No, nothing, nothing, nothing. I wish I could. I think I have an ear. I, I love music, and I listen to all kinds of music. But um, do you have a favourite, favourite musician? It varies from day no. to day. I honestly will listen to anything from classical up to. Are you listening to anything particular at the moment? Is there anything that sort of do you get obsessed by? I go through periods of obsession. Um, but not really, it's because I'm working. I had to take a decision not to not to put music on uh, writing. Really? Yeah. So you need silence? Yeah, just because the music makes a soundtrack and makes the writing look better than it is. <laughs> Have you ever tried? I've mean, tried it. Oh. I used to, yeah, I used to. I mean, it's in a first draft it can be all right, but, you know you want thrash music or dance music or something um, to just drive the speed of it along but if I put you know if you play a romantic symphony or something under a, under a piece of writing the writing will take that soundtrack and then when you read it back dry you don't know what you saw because you were responding to the music oh, and not the words can it also slightly fool you that what you're writing has got emotions that maybe the prose doesn't quite hasn't quite earned yeah absolutely yeah I really tested it as an experiment, and it, uh, I can't do it. Was it one of the things? Uh, I mean, one of the things I really liked about Release the Bats was that, that you lay bare, you know, the mistakes you made, particularly, I suppose, with, with writing Vernon God Little. You know, there are certain kind of perhaps creative myths that if you put music on, or you know, you get drunk, or you take drugs, that somehow it will 
it will improve the writing. Was perhaps listening? Was there, was there ever a soundtrack to Burning God Little? No, except for the songs that are in there. But okay. I didn't listen to them while I was writing. Okay. And in fact, when I wrote them down, I hadn't heard them for decades. Um, but I remembered them. So you're working almost from the memory of yeah, of the memory of, of Texas. And I guess it ties in. Of course, they're the songs in the soundtrack, and they're the songs from his mother's. Yeah, age. yeah. Um, but that would have been about when I was running around the early 80s um, and that shit was still playing but I didn't I didn't have a, a stereo so I couldn't really listen to yeah. music at that time luckily but then I thought wow imagine the power of imagine being inspired on the one hand by a great piece of music and then writing along um, but it doesn't work it's like, like a movie without a, a music track <laughs> Where if you take the music out of a lot of films, the dialogue shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, you know that sunlit moment that the you know so it has to work just with the words, and they have their own music as well. Was well, so there a story? I think it's Jaws. They showed the first cut of the film without all that, you know, the, that seesaw. It would cello. look stupid. Yeah, it would look absolutely yeah. stupid. It's funny. Yeah, I'm, that might not be for everyone. Just for me, anyway. Okay. I'm very susceptible to music and to. I'm very suggestible with everything, so I don't read very much, and, uh, and I don't listen to too much music. When I'm actually writing, right. I get pissed afterwards and okay. listen to music. But take the inspiration and then do the work. So, what's try. what do you have to do? Is it is it slightly sensory deprivation? Is it a, or is it serious? Not really? No, I can work most places, but yeah. um, but quiet. Are you easily distracted? You strike me as the sort of person that, could, that you could be easily distracted. Yeah, probably. Well, I work at night as well, so there are no distractions. What sort of time do you start? Well, I will edit during the day and then work at night until after 9 o'clock. 9 till 6. When do you, do you sleep? Yeah, I'll sleep until midday or whenever I can, whenever the birds are too noisy. What is it about night? It's empty. Well, I've always liked... I'm naturally nocturnal, so it's not a philosophy. But it all, can also be a philosophy um, in that your body has a... Your body tracks the sun. Your brain tracks it. And so even though you don't look at your watch, you're constantly aware of the beginning and end of things. Um, and there's a food cycle going on. Your body wants to eat and shit and drink and do all this kind of stuff. So the day is for the body and the night is for the mind. So after your last meal, eight o'clock, take a coffee. Really, you've got 12 hours where your body doesn't expect any kind of food or stimulus or activity. There's nothing in the sky to remind it what time it is. So that time just flies and... It's uh, very productive, I so you, find. It's just you and the writing. Yeah, and there's also a great sense that uh, uh, everyone's asleep. Like you, li- literally, no one will, will disturb you. I don't like anyone looking over my shoulder. And um, and even although it's ridiculous, even the notion that someone might be awake is a slight sense that you're missing out on so also I don't want to miss out on anything so you have to do it in the night it's as if I had a day job but then day you still have things to do admin and mail and yeah, yeah. eat and do all of that and go out and do what you have to do 
sorry, sensible. Some people have to say, when you look at the averages of uh, authors that we know, they, a lot of them anyway, seem to do it very early, which is a similar kind of thing. Yeah. And so before the rest of the world is... Yeah, more than a few of them will kind of spontaneously wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning, do an hour's work, uh, go back to bed, get up, do something else and be done by 10, 11 o'clock and spend the rest of the day. So it's a question of, you know, secret hours. But was that the case with Vinegar Little as well? I mean, when you were starting out and you didn't, you didn't necessarily have a routine or this wasn't, I think you say at one point... One of the things about writing is it gave you a career, it gave you a purpose, amongst other things that fiction can do. But were you were you writing at night then, or was it more yeah. chaos? Okay. Yeah, completely. Yeah, completely. Well, yeah. Also, I was sharing a house. I was in London. Um, you were saying this? You in, in Balham? Yeah, Balham. Yeah, bless it. And um, <laughs> before it gentrified, and uh, I was sharing a house with a number of other people who all had day jobs. So I would often cook the dinner. I mean, they were busy, busy people. Uh, get some food ready and whatever, but it meant that I would coincide with waking people in the house for you know, maybe three or four hours right. on a weekday. And I would have all the night then to write. Because they'd all be yeah, taxed out. Come to bed when they were going to work, get back up at midday and clean it up. And also you have the, the cold light of day, whatever, because you can, you can go crazy at night. <clears throat> and let yourself fly but then you do get cold light of day next morning to sit down and see what shit and what's not that seems to be it that's the system. system that's the way to describe the book in a way or one of the central ideas which you know I've found very uh, quite inspiring but it's idea of licence I wrote this sort of naff sentence on the way here and I was saying how do you balance the idea of slightly losing the plot with you know, creating a plot, and you need a certain control for that. And this book is about where do you draw the line between letting yourself go crazy and then yeah. but reining it in so you have that control and can, can create night and day shift somewhere around the dawn. Maybe is that is that the point where you can you start to switch off the the imagination? I'd never thought of it, but that is true. There's that is the border. Yeah, it's day and night because there are two jobs, and I'm too simplistic. I think there are, there will be, you know, many, if not all, the great authors around us, I'm sure, can do both things at once and let themselves go and also know uh, how that's contributing to structure and, you know, also be running algorithms um, to do with the form of it. Um, and I must say, with time, even I get a bit more of a... I know roughly where I want the balls to go. Right. So, you know, you're kind of heading in a direction. Um, but they are two separate jobs. And if I, you know, I can tell when the writing's going badly if I'm looking out for editing as I... Uh, as you go. When I go, yeah. That means I'm uninspired and I'm just writing shit. And, um, so if it's going well, are you almost... I know they talk about this in terms of sport, and I guess it happens to musicians as well. If you're having a really good, if you're playing live and you're playing really well, yeah, it is a performance. Do you lose? Do you, okay, so. yeah, it's a performance, definitely. The first draft and the last draft are performances. Um, the first draft, you practice the piece through, 
and then you tinker away and tinker away and tinker away with little chunks of it for months in between and then the last draft is like the a command performance and you should do it from start to finish without, do you without do any, really stopping do you do any planning before I mean do you have a sort of a, how set an idea do you have I used to I still believe in it I used to plan <laughs> I used to make a spreadsheet of chapters um, subplots just so I could keep track of what was supposed to happen but then invariably I ignore it as soon as I actually begin to write because you get a better idea and the problem is the idea you have when you sit down to write for me anyway is scarcely the best idea but it's a beginning and then you go on the adventure of the book and of course as the character takes life then the character goes off on his own way I mean he encounters new new doors to go through and so it's kind of pointless for me we should try, I should pin this down slightly and say we're here to talk about your first I guess your first work of non-fiction did you did the same rules apply about how you went about writing because obviously non-fiction might require a slightly different approach than if you're writing it's difficult yeah um yeah, it's difficult. I, I don't want to make a habit of it. <laughs> and it's tricky. You know, what is your voice? It's uh, Whereas in fiction you can't, or you shouldn't, address your work to anyone. I mean, you can't imagine the reader. Or if you have to do that, you need to imagine one right. fantasy reader okay. uh, with a very broad mind. <laughs> uh, whereas with this, actually... It, it's a dialogue from your own voice and that's tricky because what is your voice first of all first time round what does that mean and who are you talking to um, it didn't fall into place until quite late when I visited this uh, prison in Berlin and suddenly there was one man I could say listen here's, here's what is happening this is the guy that asked you for some writing advice because he actually lost, he sort of lost touch with the outside world that he couldn't imagine things or he, yeah. wor- he worried about. That's right, yeah, and he was, he was beginning, he was a very earnest guy, he took it very seriously. Um, and he'd forgotten what the outside was like, he couldn't write the setting to, to his satisfaction. And what about that conversation chimed with you? I mean, what, it's one thing to sort of to be talking to, to to someone who wants to write and is struggling in what with what whatever way, but what made you then want to, to actually to do the hard yards and sit down and write write that down? Well, the idea for the book came around earlier. Uh, it's because um, there was a, when the recession hit. Um, we decided, that is me and the world of publishing and agenting, to throttle back on a novel okay. and do something do, do something in the interim. Uh, and they were asking for a biography. And I said, I can't do an honest biography because too many people are alive who are involved. Right. And although there might be some great stories, I can't... Um, 
I can't speak on everyone's behalf, and so so this was a, it was a compromise to think. But what I can speak about is um, since I've been published, and it sort of grew from that, and then just as I say in the book, as soon as you make that decision, then things happen in life that focus in that direction. Mm. And I went to a couple of just by as part of uh, publicity had to speak with a couple of creative writing schools I've never known what they teach in creative writing I don't know how you would teach that um, but they teach them a lot I and mean, they can be degree courses even and I don't know what they do I guess they read a lot and critique shit and you didn't do anything I mean I think it, when you remember starting to write Van Gogh Little um, your first sort of real sustained writing the idea that you not even that you would have gone looking for advice that maybe even you would have taken advice from anyone's sounds like I would have loved some advice. oh you would have like <laughs> yeah I would have loved some but there wasn't any around and so there was the, that was before the or there was maybe just the UEA thing or something you know the creative writing well, I wasn't going to do that yeah I wasn't going to go okay. to school for it <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no I just no, I needed something like that I just needed someone to say listen you know just a a bit of a, a lifeline in a practical sense. 